Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. On today's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about coffee, knowledge, and we have part one of our interview with Steve Dixon from the Sycamore Trust. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Kindness Project. I am one of your Mika hosts, Chris Mika, Mika host Chris Dames. I'm also joined by uh, Charlotte, who's at this current moment trying to arrange a D&D session, mm. and Russell, who is uh, never in a rush. Are you, Russ? <laughs> Are you ever in a rush, Russ? I've, I've learned to be patient since I've been working with you, so... <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, you didn't learn that before working with him. One, <laughs> one thing you need when you're working with me, Russ, patience. Um, I, I, I used to kick him under the bed. Now he's turned <laughs> me back. Are we talking about that again? The time you kicked me under the bed? This is my punishment for it. <laughs> Forever. Although we have just interviewed Mr. George Kinder, who will pop up in a, in a few episode and maybe you need to redefine your life plan russ maybe you need to do a bit of life planning what do you reckon they was very interesting questions which we we won't preempt because we want george to to share on his podcast but that what i mean you know what what of what did you find it interesting yeah it was what bit did you find most interesting um i liked when he was talking about like no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mentally going through it. It wasn't only how interesting it was. It was about how passionate he was about... Yeah, you know what? Yeah, like, I completely like yeah. agree. You know what as well? If you are... And this is what I I, I, I really enjoyed. In, in his mid-70s, to have that degree of enthusiasm about yeah. anything... Yeah. It's a sign to me that he he loves it. So please, listeners, if you are listening to this, keep an eye out for the George Kinder interview. It's going to be a bit bit amazing. Charlotte now is going to tell us what she enjoyed about the interview. She remembers. (laughs) You're asking me to do this on camera. Or not. Or not. Do you need a coffee? Or what? Anyway, listen. I mean, Charlotte's clearly not selling it. Um, uh, it was so, good. It was good. It was good. Um, it was good. He, I can't remember why it was good. He he talked a lot about his love for nature, um, and that he was very passionate about that, um, which was nice of him. And he's got his passion. <laughs> this is what the uh, you know what I love. When have you noticed this, Russ? When Charlotte's under pressure. She talked in like this quite oh it rushes on the camera. I mean you can't see it listeners, but uh as he's engaging in what's going on the camera. Have you had another haircut, Russ? I have not. Is your head that hot that you had to have an haircut if you Oh god. <laughs> anyway, I I I love the fact that Charlotte goes through this thing where she just she starts talking a bit higher pitched every time she gets a bit nervous. Oh, oh, God. She starts rubbing her eyes as well. That's because I'm tired and uncaffeinated. She's uncaffeinated. Like you should be caffeinated at 8 o'clock at night. I, I just, I haven't had a single caffeine. I totally agree. Today. Have you not had any caffeine no, today? No. How come? Um, because I didn't want to spend the money to get one at college. <laughs> Too stingy. Too stingy to be caffeinated. Yeah. Oh, I can't get through a day with that caffeine. Oh, how dare they? What are the prices to? The, the chips are a pound fifty now, and they're stingy <laughs> on them as well. You I'm know what? I don't mind 
No, you have just complained. <laughs> That's what you've just done. I'm not going to complain, but they're being stuck no, no, no. to the chips. I'm not going to complain to their face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to complain so they can make constructive change. I'll just complain behind their back. Oh, no. On a podcast. I'll buy it. I know Tony might know. I bought What's Tony pack, right? I bought a pack of Aero Mint Aeros the other day, and they've shrunk in size. Well, that actually... Oh, yeah, but these have shrunk in size and gone up in price. That's right. Well, I can't be well, that, that, they, There's a word for both of those things. One's inflation, and this is a genuine word, Russ. Yeah, go on. The other one, shrinkflation. It's well, when yeah. things get smaller and cost the same. It's when things get smaller and cost the same. Yeah. So how many mint arrows you buying, Russ? Uh, there's four in a pack. Four in a pack. How many, did you, how many packs did you buy? One. And and how many times are you buying that pack? <laughs> Once. Whatever. Well, Kelly was at work. She came out and went in the shop. Oh, and you fancy forming Europe? <laughs> <I'm bored. laughs> I mean, well, as you know, I don't want to like sort of show off. I'm you just, left I'm, me alone for the weekend. I'm just back from Paris, so I think the Euro Euros might be fruity, but it's definitely not Minero. Huh? The Euro might be fruity, but it's definitely not Minero. Well, I mean, I had, I had quite a lot of French wine while I was away, so I think the fruit that is on my mind. I think it's been affecting you now, mate. It's great. I think so. <laughs> I got fed a grape earlier. <laughs> fed a, who fed you a grape? Sophie. Did she? She just came and handed me a frozen That's a grape. bit Roman, isn't it? <laughs> would, you, would you sprawled out on the... Uh, no, no, she just put it in my hand. Gone. She just put it in my hand. It was too cold. It'd been in the freezer. Yeah, so um, that brings us on quite messily to the question of the podcast, which is... In your opinion, ladies and gentlemen, what is the world's greatest city? Now, I think... What do you think, Maus? I've, I've been to a couple of cities, Paris, London, oh, and Bodrum in Turkey. Bodrum? I quite, enjoy, I quite enjoyed that, but I was quite young when we went there, 15. You were covered yeah. in mud when you went there, didn't you? you? Did you we, do that we, or not? We, we did go in the, in the mud pool. And you know what? Cover that was amazing for his hot head. <laughs> Putting a bit of cool mud on his hot head. Oh. Just, talk, just talking about that, though. <laughs> I, I was a lot slimmer then. I don't think I'd look so great in mud now. No. Well, Charlotte really didn't like the mud, did you, when we went to Bodrum? I don't like mugs. No, I, 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 I think if you're going to Bodrum, you've got to get involved in a bit of the mud. I don't like things being stuck. It's not actually Bodrum. It's in the sort of, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the place, but it's where the, uh, it's where the um, salt uh, flats are and stuff like that. I'm pretty, sure was, I'm pretty sure it was called Ephesus. Yes, it was. Ephesus. It's not just mud, though. It's sand. Like, I don't like the beach because if get sand gets between my toes, it gets stuck and it's really annoying and really yeah. frustrating. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. <sighs> and at the beach, they charge £1.50 for chips. You actually get more than you do at the Oh, you get more than you do at the college. And it's only half a portion. You oh, know. God. You know what? At the beach. I mean, what's worse? Chips at the beach or chips at college? Chips at college. Chips at college. <laughs> why, why, why are chips at college? Just remind us for the, for the uh, benefit no, of the no, listeners. No. Why are chips at college no. so bad? No. 
So give me a small portion. No, I'm not. I'm not performing in your horses. I'll be totally honest with you, though. I'm coming down in a couple of weeks. I, I didn't the... know that. Yeah. <gasps> Sorry, did... I... no, no. Char- Charlotte's annoyed that I'm not telling her have anything. A... Have you not heard about the expo? Yeah, the Avery Means Business Expo. I thought it was months that? away. No, so it's a month. <laughs> Why are we promoting the AGB Expo on the... Uh... <laughs> on the Kindness uh, Project podcast. Is the point. I tell you what, our listeners in America, our listeners in Australia, our listener in Madagascar, <laughs> listener in Madagascar, isn't going to be interested in an Sorry. expo in London, are they? Let's Sorry, be honest. can I finish? <laughs> so, let me tell you. How do I mute him again? <laughs> sure. Go on. I looked at the petrol prices. And fall to myself this morning. I wish I had a kind of electric like you have. You know what? It's the future. It is absolutely no. the future. Not really. You've got one now. Yeah. The future is now. Yeah, Thanks I wish I had a kind of electric like you did. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, in other news podcast listeners, we've now got an electric car. Um uh, uh, and Russ, this is—I mean, Paris isn't my favourite city. It was—it did inspire the question because it is a favourite city of mine. But you know what I love? You can just rent it, and you can do it in London as well, to be fair. But I love a city where you can rent an uh, electric bike or an electric scooter and have a little two to one about. It's amazing. Apparently, you can does, do it in Berlin does, as well. That does sound right on my street. What would you go for—a scooter or a bike? I'd probably go for a bike because I prefer riding a bike than a scooter. Do you like riding a bike? I can ride a bike, yeah. I like like stationary bikes. What? I like it when they move. (laughs) I prefer when they move because you get from one place to another. I can ride a bike. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bikeless. Have you got, do you own a bike? No. Well, you are bikeless then. I I, I did that. No. Because I can ride a... Oh, oh. You've you took me down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you down the road, not on a bike. You ain't got one. Uh, anyway, Moving ladies on. and gents, please Just tell us... Just have no bike ride, is it? <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gents, please tell us what your favourite city is and why... <laughs> We'd love to know why you, why you love your favourite city. Um, uh, I'm sure there's going to be loads of you who tell us uh, a wide range of cities. I think my favourite city, uh, New York may be a close second. Still London. Tired of London, tired of life. I stand by that. What do you think? Um, I like big places. (laughs) (laughs) That's what cities are. If if a city was a small place, it would be a village or a town, wouldn't it? Okay, it wouldn't be a city anymore. If a city was downgraded like one step, it'd be a town, but then another step is a village. And there's a big difference between towns and villages that I'm not going to go into on the podcast. Oddly enough, talking about London. So Charlotte didn't answer that at all. She just went, like a five year old would answer that question. <laughs> I like big places. I mean, that, that, I that does nothing to help. I like big places, not large crowds. Um, uh, so ah, right. I like the architecture and the thing, but 
but then the crowds really get me. So I can't really pick a place because the architecture's the thing, but then you've also got a comparison. Okay, what city is going to be its architecture then? Athens. It depends on what sort of architecture you're looking for. Yeah, because if you're looking at like modern, postmodern architecture, but if you're looking like culturally significant or sort of ancient architecture and the phenomenal nature of it, obviously you'd have to say places like Athens and stuff like that for ancient architecture, but for modern architecture, you'd have to look somewhere. But but this this is what I'm saying. London is a place that's got architecture. (laughs) <laughs> James Cryer. Um, am I wrong? Yeah, that my favorite. I mean, I, and and I love visits to tall buildings. So my favorite uh, at the moment is the Walkie Talkie. The Sky Garden up the top is amazing. Um, uh, but London has a amazing combination of both. Uh, fairly old and fairly new buildings in abundance. Actually, there's not that many countries that've got both. I don't think um, so. Athens has hasn't made as much investment in new build no, buildings um, as. But it's so pretty. I I found I mean to be honest I think when we went didn't like a the track up that ago, hill but that was yeah it was well, worth that, it. Look, look I mean the the Parthenon was. I mean, an amazing place to visit. I absolutely loved it. Um, but um, I don't know whether Athens would be my favourite Maybe it's city. just because um, I like the sort of the history of the sort of culture of Greece. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that. I like that mix of medieval industrial. There's got a lot of that in Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, are you saying Norwich? <laughs> Out of all of the cities, sorry, let me, let me, let me read, this is amazing, this is amazing, let me raise the question again, Russ, what, and, and, and give, give that answer, please, what, in your opinion, what, in your opinion, is the world's greatest city? Norwich. <laughs> Kingsley. <laughs> I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. What, in your opinion? <laughs> I just like making her laugh. What, in your opinion, is the world's greatest city? I'm going to go proper cabby now and say West Bromwich. <laughs> Stoke. Stoke. Right. If Charlotte can come to any sort of senses, I mean, you made her laugh so much. I mean, can I just say, I don't know how many listeners we've got in Norwich, and Norwich may be a lovely place. I've been to Norwich. I think it's an okay place. Would I class it as the world's greatest city? If, like, i tell you what, i tell you what, if somebody says... Norwich, anybody apart from you, Russ, says Norwich is the world's greatest city, or Kelly, because I don't I know you can put her up to it, or Kay, or anybody, right? That, that genuinely, if anybody genuinely gives the answer Norwich as the world's greatest city, I will eat my socks. All right, that's how confident I'm going to be a live episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I will. I will eat 
bra suit's hat that he never wears. Jokes. <laughs> That's okay. all I hate. Can I just say, other cities are available. No, no, Norwich is probably a lovely place. I don't know whether it counts in the top X amount of great cities in the world. But anyway, can you let, for genuine answers, apart from Russell's Norwich, <laughs> if, I, if I get Norwich pop up on the answers there, Russ, I know you put somebody up for it. Um, can you let people know where they can actually give us a genuine answer that isn't Norwich on, on the podcast? Oh, yeah. Um, so if you want to find us on Twitter, you go to at Ola Kindness. If you want to find us on Facebook, if you put the Kindness Project into the search world, we should come up. Same with Google, but you have to put the Kindness Project podcast. If you want to find the website directly, it's www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. If you want to email us directly, it's Ola at thekindnessproject.co.uk. I don't know what our Instagram is. We've probably got a location in Norris. <laughs> Norris. Our office in Norwich. Can we open an office in Norwich, Russ? Can we have We've got an office near Norwich. We have. You live near Norwich. Um, but can we can we genuinely ask, can you look into this for me tomorrow? Can we have Kindness Project HQ? Can we have the Kindness Project headquarters located in what you consider the greatest city <laughs> in the world, Norwich? Wait. I never said I consider they're the greatest. They have to be why are you, why are you, why are you sort of not including Stoke? Kelly said Hulls. <laughs> you know what? Hull was actually a city of culture at one point. So it was. It was. It was. Like, no, don't, don't laugh at Hull. Um, there was, laugh at Norwich, but not Hull. Um, there was a lot of investment went into Hull. And how I saw some amazing stuff going on in Hull, so maybe just poke my face in the screen. Just stat on it. All right. Okay. While you were talking right, about okay. the Get inside about Hull, that's why. Okay. So you, you haven't quite shaved properly. <laughs> but nobody can see that because we're on a podcast. And and it's, it's been bugging me for the past hour and a half. And the fact, I've got that little moustache in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. I've got a clean red then you've got, Jim. Sorry? I've got a clean red then you've got, Jim. <laughs> Rush, you've probably got a cleaner head than I have, Chin. <laughs> yeah, right. they all look like that in Norwich. Right. <laughs> and on that note, let's move on to the next part of the show. Uh, it is... Kindness news. And we've got two... <laughs> Norwich. <laughs> and, and we've got two... Kindness news. There's um, Sebi Hall, who looks like he's standing in front of a mountain. It looks like he's from Nor Norwich. <laughs> he and he's, not. <laughs> he's, if he's from Norwich now, I'm going to... He's, uh, he's um, stand Let me just move that over here so Charlotte can't see it. So <laughs> I can pretend he's from Norwich. Um, he's from Staffordshire. Sebi, Sebi Hall is a massive, en masse, Easter egg donator. A teenager who started doing daily acts of kindness to raise a thousand pounds has now launched a foundation for good causes. Sebi Hall from Litchfield, Staffordshire, started in March 2020 when his school closed due to COVID 19. 
The 18-year-old who has learning and physical difficulties started the acts of kindness to help people who were lonely because of the pandemic. With the help of his mother, Ashley, he has now set up the Sebi Hall Kindness Foundation and raised nearly £40,000. He just wants to keep going, Mrs Hall said. Among his kind deeds, he collected coats to give to the homeless, hid Easter eggs around his village, and near Halloween, collected pumpkins, which then were made into soup for those in need. He also bought lottery tickets each week with his pocket money and handed them out to lucky strangers with no strings attached. Part of the money raised by Sebi has helped provide inclusive IT equipment to young people who have disabilities. He also supported the creation of arts and sports activities for young people who are isolated because of disability disadvantage or mental health. Sebi, who has a rare chromosome anomaly, which has resulted in low muscle tone and speech problems, was invited to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's carol concert at Westminster Abbey in recognition of his work. He's had letters from Boris Johnson, the Lord Lieutenant of Staffordshire, Mrs Hall said, who added her son was also shortlisted for a Pride of Britain award. He had about 150 in cash for his 18th birthday and he insisted on putting it on his Just Giving page. We said, no, Sebi, that's money for you to spend. But he said it would make him happier to donate it. I can't believe it. All he wanted to do was raise 1,000 for one for doing 100 good deeds. But now he's made such a difference and he has the Kindness Foundation. It's given him a, a value to himself. For the last 17 years of his life, someone has always had to do things for him. But it's given him the confidence that spurred him on to show that you can do anything. To think when he was diagnosed, we were told he would never walk or talk or even sit up. He's come from that and to think of what he's achieved. He's also, he was also featured on news outlets across the world since he received a World Compassion Award from the Supreme Master Ching Hai, a Buddhist humanitarian world leader. She awarded Sebi with $10,000, which has enabled him to set up the foundation. Love that. Lo- absolutely love that. Now, what it shows, you know, with the drive behind you, you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. Because, you know, even though potentially that guy could be um, could be uh, focused on his own needs, he's focused on the needs of, of, other, of others and added so much value in the world. That's amazing. Love that story. Um, next uh, piece of kindness news I want to share is about an 80-year-old man who walks through a blizzard to rescue three cars of people. A retiree rescuer hiked half a kilometre through a winter whiteout to reach a woman that had used social media to alert the local neighbourhood that she was stuck and afraid for her safety. At 80 years old, Andre Bouvier Sr., amazing name, is being hailed as a hero for rescuing not only the woman, but three other cars likewise stuck in an impassable blizzard which locals describe as the Norwich nightmare. Oh no, so the <laughs> Saskatchewan screamer. Many, many have had the same thought as Sh- Shannon St. Ong when looking at the approach of snow on a we- uh, on a weather forecast. Uh, that they had time to finish their errands. The director of finance at the First Nations University of Canada, her signature check required her to drive her usual commute at 25 kilometres from her home in Pence over to the city of Regina. As she was leaving, the winter snow, snow began to fall and taking a dirt road for better traction on her tyres, she quickly became lost, with no ability to see more than a sliver of the road's edge. After a while, she stopped and called 911, with the operator suggesting she wait it out, this, 
white out the storm as her attempt was full and she was warm. The operator took my information, told me an officer will call me back. Almost 14 hours and counting, nobody's called me to check in. Would the gas tap last until morning? What if I was hit by another vehicle? What if I fell asleep in the cell pipe? pipe was blocked what if i didn't make it home at all determined to ensure the safest end to her turn for the worst she went out in the storm discovered a location on a road sign then found a neighborhood facebook group for the area she was passing and effectively put a google pin on where she was that's when andre bouvier senior doing some at-home genealogy research got a call about St. on situation and bundled up uh, bundling up while ignoring his wife's concern for safety, went out to find her on foot because he couldn't manage to start his tractor. On the way, he found three other stranded vehicles, seven people, and walked a quarter mile there and back, leading the helpless cars one by one to his own. Once we arrived to his house and I parked the car, I got out and jumped into his arms and gave him a great big bear hug. I was sobbing with gratitude. Uh, St Ong said. I was so grateful. Bouvier let the survivors sleep, as it, sleep at his house where they ate and laughed and departed the next morning after he had ploughed the driveway. Bouvier remarked that everyone would have done uh, would have done the same and it, it took very few thoughts or courage to help. Amazing stuff. Well done that man uh, for being kind, hospitable and so supportive. So amazing stuff. Next up, we've got the interview. We've got part one of our interview with uh, Steve Dixon from the Sycamore Trust. Steve talks about the amazing work the Sycamore Trust does and how uh, we can support them, support people on the spectrum uh, with what they need. Should we listen to the first part of the interview? Let's do it. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Welcome to the Kindness Projects. Thank you for having me along. How's your, how's your day been so far? Um, quite busy in actual fact. Um, you know, you, the, you, it, it's a busy time of year for us at, at Sycamore. Um, Autism Awareness Week, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a, a little bit later, is um, is approaching at the end of March. Right. Um, so plenty going on at the moment, and 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 just the regular stuff. I mean, autism uh, is something that uh, people live with uh, for the you know the, for, for their entire lives. So it's um, there's that we're always trying to provide as much support as we possibly can, and and it's um, it's never ending. Yeah, as you say, I suppose it's autism is something that people people have got a sort of evolve you know people you know cope with during their adult lives as well and it'd be interesting to talk about how people sort of transition from kids to adulthood with it's it's interesting chris that you say that transition is an extremely important word it's an extremely important activity um, because if, if you're not really thinking about these things, there are a number of different areas. I mean, there's the transition, perhaps the most important one would be the transition from junior school to secondary yeah. school. Yeah. For, for, a young, for, a, for a young person with autism, you know, 11 years old, um, who is used to the routine of going to junior school, suddenly going to a, a secondary school where... Oh. Um, you know, you, you have to go to different parts of the school to attend different classes and there are obviously different teachers and maybe a different bus or, or buses to get to school and different uh, boys and girls in your class. 
a really big factor. And then, of course, the next transition would be once you leave that school to go on to further education, university, college, or out into the world of work, uh, or transitioning from your your parents' house, if that's where you grew up, uh, yep. into your own independent living. So many different ways in which in which that transition is important. And, uh, and, it's and I'd, I'd imagine, thing. I'd imagine. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because my my girls are, uh, and again, Charlotte, who co-hosts the podcast with me, is eighteen now, and her uh, transition from sort of college that finishes in sort of July to, to September is quite an exciting one. And even though there's an element elements of fear, um, she's quite enthused about it. But I suppose yes. if you're if you're in a position where you're you you're on the spectrum, some of those challenges can feel quite overwhelming, right? Well th- th- there's every chance. I mean I, I think it's important to state that at the beginning that, that autism of course has a spectrum condition. There are, there is yeah. there is no um, uh, obvious definitive. Yeah. exactly there's no definitive autistic person so, so there might be some people who would say yep I'm fine with that whereas others it might be extreme extremely uh, difficult to to get up to get a, a, um, used to the idea of going to a different building in a different town or a different part of town and and dealing with different teachers and different ways of life um it, it's 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 a tough period uh, where, but as I've said particularly that I think particularly that um, junior to secondary school. Um, and as we, one thing we do know is that a lot of people with autism um, thrive on a regular routine. So if you've been had a regular routine for three or four years and all of a sudden it's completely changed, that would be quite difficult uh, in, initially. Okay, and we'll talk, we'll talk about a little bit about that because one question that I haven't, and I haven't recorded is how some of the people you help with transition both into lockdown and, and what's happened over the last couple of years. Yeah, the last couple of years have been really difficult for some of the we, young people. As we come support. out, does that be interesting to, yeah, to explore? Yeah. But before we do that, let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the Sigmund Trust. Um, okay, well, I think the first thing I should probably um, uh, come up start with is a confession. I'm not... Uh, an East Londoner. I'm a South Londoner, uh, specifically the South East. Um, so my, my journey to um, to Sycamore in Dagenham or Romford um, can often be quite um, quite difficult. But I I, um, I got involved in Sycamore um, in 2018. Um, I, I, my, most of my sort of working life I've spent, believe it or not, in, in football. Um, I worked at Leighton Orient Football Club um, prior to, um, to Sycamore, and that's how I came to know um, a gentleman who was who was you know well known to the staff at Sycamore, and, and he, he he recommended me for this particular role, um, and that was in 2018. I think what's really important about the people at Sycamore um, is that almost everybody who works at Sycamore has a relationship with autism, and I'm no different. My, I have an autistic nephew who um, is now 12 so when I joined Sycamore he was um, uh, he was eight um, and uh, you know it gives you an, an understanding of what it's like I mean I, I, I would never suggest that I could uh, explain what it would be like to be on the spectrum but having spent a lot of time around my nephew I've got a, a reasonable understanding of how um, people are, your people with autism approach things differently yeah. many many of our staff at Sycamore are on the spectrum or are you know close relatives parents, brothers, sisters, siblings um, of people on the spectrum. And, and that, that really rather drew me to the organisation. I mean, I was um, I was quite enthusiastic about getting involved 
um, with Sycamore because, um, you know, I felt that it was an important area. You know, I, I felt that you know, my nephew didn't get enough support. And whilst he doesn't live in the area that, that is covered by Sycamore services, because we only cover Havering, uh, Redbridge and Barking Dagenham, um, I, I felt like I was doing something to help people in a similar mm. position to him. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's how I got involved with Sycamore. I've been I've been at the at the organisation now since the beginning of 2018. It's coming up for my fourth anniversary, and I really enjoy it. Um, I mean, mm. I, as I said, I, I worked in a very very different field uh, prior to coming to Sycamore. Although there are a lot of there are a lot of differences. I mean, trying what to raise the, money what for was a small the turning point. Well, when, when when did you decide to make the change? Um, well, I think I think I'd got to the point where. You know, I, I, I enjoyed working in, in, in football, but um, I, I sort of felt that I, I, maybe I, I would be, uh, it would be useful or it would be, it would be, it would be good for me to try and do something that, that could help people with it, with you know, a, 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 a disadvantage. Uh, people in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of slightly um, uh, more difficult situation. Um, I mean, as opposed to trying to generate uh, income for a, for a football club. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of similarities in, in some respects. So, you know, uh, getting involved with Sycamore has, has opened my eyes to the way that, you know, public services are, are, are funded. And um, I, I think there's obviously a, a concern, particularly now as we come out of the pandemic, about the amount of money that's available um, yeah. for people who are fulfilling really essential uh, functions. So, um, you know, yeah. there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of similarities, but I have to say, I'm, I'm really, I really enjoy what enjoy I do now. Uh, yeah, and, and um, I, I, I like to think that we're doing good work. Yeah, no, it's really good. So tell me, tell me about the work that Zikamul does. Help me understand a bit more about that. Well, I think that the first thing that should be noted is that autism is a hidden disability, yeah. and it's my view that that leads it to be generally quite often overlooked. People just tend not to pay attention to things that they can't see, and I think that's entirely understandable yeah, yeah. So, autism is a hidden disability um, and i think not only is it overlooked in society terms i think it's probably overlooked in funding terms as well because you know i don't think autistic charities or autistic programs and autistic support gets the same level of of, of income as other equally important programs uh, receive um i, I should say I'm, I'm not advocating that autism should be treated differently and get more money than anything else i mean there are so many important conditions out there and so many important people doing good work i just I, you know i i do sometimes feel that that, that um, autism because of its hidden disability nature is, is overlooked you so know what's interesting steve it does touch a lot of lives doesn't it autism i mean when i well, think about my friends family uh, clients, people, people I know, and people I work with, um, there are you know there are examples of plenty of people who are on that autistic spectrum somewhere. So it I is think, quite prevalent, isn't it? I think that's a very good point. I mean, since I've been involved with Sycamore, I've been it, 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 I, I can't tell you just how many times I've had a conversation which I've explained to someone what I do for a living, and um, they, their their immediate reaction has been, oh, my grand my grandson or my next door yeah. neighbour's daughter or uh, one of the guys I work with, his niece, his niece. A lot of people seem to know some on the spectrum. I mean, it's not uncommon. There are around about 700,000 people in the United Kingdom with autism. Mm -hmm. and, and in terms of how that affects uh, family life, that means there are just under 3 million family members 
that have an autistic brother, sister, son, daughter, grandson, yeah. niece, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it's it's actually quite common. Um, so, but not a lot is known about it. You know, I, I think more is being known about it certainly now. But when I was at school, you know, back in the you know it, it, before the turn of the century. We probably had um, autistic children in the class, but they were just considered to be badly behaved gotcha. because perhaps they couldn't concentrate or, or they, would be, they became disruptive. They were sent to the headmaster's office or to the back of the class. We know more about autism now than we did maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and, and we are doing more about it. And, and, and obviously that's, that's a very positive uh, and, and the change. Sycamore Trust has been around for how long? How was it founded? Yeah. What, what was we, the Sycamore Trust began 26 years ago um, as a parental group. It was initially okay. called PACT, which stood for Parents of Autistic Children Together. And uh, it merged with Barking Dagnan Mencap in 2014 to become the Sycamore Trust. Okay. Uh, and it basically evolved out of a lack of services for families um, that had an, a member of the family on the spectrum. Um, so it, it, it filled a hole. Uh, and, and obviously has grown now to providing a considerable number of support services uh, for families all over Barking, Dagenham, Havering and Redbridge. Um, and for some of the families we support, I mean, I, I think we're something of a lifeline because apart from the fact that we're, we're, we're helping the, the in general, it's, we work with a lot of young people. So if we're helping a young person with autism, we're also providing valuable respite for the, for the, for the parents and carers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be the, the only the, the only sort of two or three hours of the week where, where they can sort of, you know, switch off. A little bit and have and have a little bit of a relaxed a period of relaxation, because you know it, it's 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 difficult when you've got someone with a neurodiversity. Um, you know, I think that your routines are are, are affected unquestionably. So we we we're doing some really wonderful work across the three boroughs. Um, a lot of young people, but we start with with young people at the age of two. Um, we've got a magnificent. Uh, it's it's such an empowering program. It's called Speak with a Picture. And basically, it helps children that have communication difficulties, and it helps them to open a line of communication with their parents by using little cards with pictures of symbols on them. I mean, imagine how frustrating it it might be um, if you had a three-year-old that you couldn't talk to. And that three-year-old couldn't tell you when they were hungry, tired whether they wanted whether they you know, needed a change of clothes or wanted a yeah, drink yeah. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating for the child and for the parent alike so th- this program opens up a line of communication for children as young as two to three to four years old um, to and communicate through images yeah it's brilliant it's it's, well, it's wonderful i mean it's really the point you made earlier Steve, is really a really interesting one and, and i think we have come on sort of leaps and bounds in terms of being able to diagnose some of these um, some of these conditions and, 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 and situations. How, how good are we now at diagnosis? So do, are, are we equipped as a society to diagnose early and therefore support earlier? Or, or is there still work to do in that? I, I think there's still work to do. And, and I, I don't profess to be the expert in this area because I've, I've got no clinical background. Um, yeah. But it appears to me... As, as, as I'm not going to say as an, as an outsider or an insider, but it just appears to me, knowing what I know, that it depends very much where you live. It, I, I, I hesitate to use the phrase postcode lottery, but it is rather a case of to which local services you're, you're allowed access to, because yeah. 
in some cases you'll get a prompt diagnosis and you'll get a bit of support in other cases you know you might have to wait a long time for a diagnosis even though you know there is there's evidence to suggest that you you're the young person may well be on the spectrum you may have to wait a long time for a diagnosis and then there's very little support in place when that diagnosis is received i think perhaps the most common telephone call that we receive at sycamore trust is from a parent or carer saying we've just had a diagnosis and i don't know what to do can you help us yeah and, and yeah, obviously yeah. the answer to that is yes we can but more to the point i think a lot of it depends on where you live as to what level of of support and what level of services mm. you're you you you're allowed access to so and are, are there i mean take um Hayward mind as an example where they sort of local group to us um I, I can't believe i'm saying to us even though you're from south of the river steve i mean I, i'll let you off considering you work north of the that's river. very that's very um, kind <laughs> but um are there are there um sort of overshoots in other parts of the london other parts of the country how does it work no um there there, there are there's no there are no other sycamore uh branches although you know we are aware that there are other organizations and charities and support groups that help um families and individuals on, on the autistic spectrum every local council is obliged to have what they call a local offer so if you if if you're if you're listening to this for example in um in an essex county postcode or you know or, or, or maybe in Newham or Tower Hamlets you might decide to look on your local authority website and if you find the page that's called local offer there will be some special educational needs provision okay. but of course it varies from borough to borough as to what yeah. that provision might be but they are they are obliged to provide a level of support but of course Chris as you know uh, th- th- invariably these decisions come down to the availability of the finance yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I, I, I've got no doubt that the boroughs that we we deal with, who I say all of which are very supportive, I should add, I've no doubt that they would like to help even more people if they possibly could. But the, the, the amount of finance available and the other calls in the public purse mean that they have to take a, a view of they can afford to help children or young people with with, with a certain group of characteristics yeah. and that means that some you know go unsupported and that's probably where we step in because we look after or help to look after mm-hmm. a lot of those people that perhaps don't get support from the local authority and one of, one of the things you mentioned Sam, i think is really interesting and pretty pertinent because i think with a lot of you know uh, invisible conditions the conditions you can't see uh, sometimes there's a lot of misunderstanding. Do you think autism and people who are on the spectrum are misunderstood? And if so, how? Yes, yes, I, I would, I would say that. I mean, and, and uh, as an example, um, I'll, I'll give you a, a, an example of, of, of an anecdotal evidence that I know has happened and uh, to, to people that we support. Imagine parking in a disabled bay at the supermarket, and then being told, "Well, oh, your child doesn't look disabled." Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, straight away there is the there, there is the implication, the mindset, perception, that, yeah, the perception yeah. that a disability has to be physical. So, so straight away that's a factor. I think, I think we are getting better as a society, and I think one of the areas that's been most important recently, and I, and I hate to say this because it does sound so, it sounds a, a, a little bit vacant or a little bit flippant, the number of celebrities that are that have been diagnosed recently. We've seen Melanie Sykes. Whom is an actress who was, you know, I remember from my youth, she was famous in the 90s. Um, and Paddy McGuinness, uh, his wife, Christine, is a model. Mm. And um, they have three children on the spectrum. 
yeah, many yeah. cyclists on the spectrum. And I he had I, an issue, didn't he? I remember it was in the news last year that he parked in a disabled bay. Right. And I think somebody pulled him over and said, well, why are you... So I think you that, go. that example you give... There you go. ...is, is perfect in terms um, of... So uh, there was a really... I mean, there was a documentary on BBC One just before Christmas, and I, I know most of the Sycamore staff, we watched that and we talked about it. And I know that one or two of the staff weren't overly impressed with, with, with the programme. I looked upon because they were looking at it from a from a clinical perspective, uh, but but from my perspective, I I said it was on BBC One, not 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 a not a satellite channel. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. nine o'clock on a Wednesday night. It was prime viewing. There would have been people who watched that program because it was about Paddy McGuinness, who they like from Top Gear and Question Sport, or or, or they follow his wife on Instagram, but who didn't know anything about autism, never heard the word. And now maybe another million people have found out about about autism. So I, I think that program was important. And I think the more that we can we can have of people in the in the public eye talk about autism yeah. and and, un, and not understand it, but acknowledge it. I think that's yeah. that's that's better. And what what's the big misconception, Steve? You know, what, what do people assume about uh, autism and uh, individuals on the spectrum that are probably wrong? Well, that, that's a. I mean, I, I think the easiest way to say that is that I think most people's perception of autism is probably Rain Man. I think perhaps for you and I, anyway, of a certain age. Um, I think if you're a little bit younger, you're probably thinking about um, the Big Bang Theory. Um, there's a character called Sheldon, and there's an also there was a, a, a drama called The Good Doctor, who I think the, the Doctor was 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 autistic. But if you think back to the to the um, Dustin Hoffman character in, in Rain Man, uh, he was he was a genius, a maths genius. Um, so I think that there is a bit of a misconception that all people with autism are are wonderful um, with numbers, and that can sometimes be true. But it can also sometimes not be true. A bit like okay. an ordinary person. You know, a very good friend of mine had had a, had a, a, a quite a you know mid level senior level uh, banking job with a with a major international bank because. He was wonderful with numbers. Um, so, so there is a, perhaps a misconception that all autistic people are, you know, mathematical geniuses, because that's not strictly true. But, you know, uh, autistic people tend to value order. And obviously numbers never lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's factual, isn't it? It's very yeah. factual. Yes, the answer yeah. to a mathematical equation will always be the same, however you do it. Um, so consequently, a lot of people with autism do like numbers because they value um, that, that, that factual element. Gotcha, gotcha. So that was the first part of the interview with Steve. More next week. And on that note... Here's the end of another podcast. But the end is never truly the end. Because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. And this beginning is our setting up headquarters in Norwich. <laughs> Isn't it, Russ? Russ, genuinely, can you find out whether we can get a PO box yeah, in Norwich? The greatest city in the world! If, if we want to set up headquarters, it has to be in Twitch. <laughs> oh. I, I, We're doing the I, grand tour of East Anglian cities now, aren't we? I know, I know. This is like a tour of East Anglia. We'll just set up in Cranham. Nothing bad ever happens in Cranham. Well, we can either do Cranham, or we can do just set up in Russell's house. So that'd be easier, <laughs> wouldn't it? All the kindest po- projects post comes to... Where are you, Nickton? Yeah, Nickton, yeah. I'm not going to give out your address, Lars, don't worry. Um, uh, I don't know your address, to be honest. So. <laughs> um, 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 right, so...
the question last week question in the podcast was what's the best game you played as a as a kid i think i said british bulldog and games on my commodore 64 marco allen reckons it was run out uh deborah meyer said french skipping is that like french kissing curbsies and slightly ashamed to say knock down ginger russell dames answered Norwich. I, I, yeah, you, right. Knock down Norwich. Knock down Norwich. Knock down. What did you say, Russ? What have you put in the chat? I should knock down Norwich. Out of order. Out of order, Russ. Um, uh, uh, other, other mediocre. He's saying the city's what over. Did he, say? Uh, he said, "Sensible world of soccer. It was a great game. I don't really pl- remember playing outdoor games much." Sandra Connington said, "Elastics, Peavers, Kirby, Bellies, and of course Haggis chasing. Apparently they're all Scottish." Um, uh, <laughs> and not- the, the original uh, TV tennis game. Can't remember its name. Uh, it was on a black screen. Uh, that was. Pong, Sandra. Alice Joy used to play 40-40. Steve Dan used to play Kiss Chase. Paul Middleton used to play Chaney Hay, where you could only be caught tagged by a chain of people. I thought that was called something different. I thought that was called... Oh, I can't remember. Um, uh, Chris Haycock used to play a game called Jet Set Willy. I can say that that is an actual game, not just uh, uh, a joke. Uh, Mark Eccles used to play British Bulldog and Space Invaders. Emma Tanya used to play Manic Minor on the Commodore 64 and Elastics. I don't know what Elastics is. Do you, yeah, Russ? Monopoly, Justin Gaffney used to play. Uh, Mark Bartley used to play his Spectrum 1 to 8K. Jade Foster Jarrett used to play Tin Can Alley. Chris Thomas used to love a pack of playing cards. Oh, yes. Uh, he used to carry a set around with him anytime he travels. Uh, coincidentally, the same as Phileas Fogg going around the world in 80 days. Nicola Taylor. Loved a bit of French skipping. Um, and on Twitter, uh, we had no answers at all. Oh. Um, so, so bad show, Twitter. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've just broken my computer. Um, and on that note, that's the end of another show. Thank you for listening to The Kindness Project. As always, it's been a pleasure. I've been London Chris. This has been Cran and Charlotte. <laughs> and that has been Norwich Russ. <laughs> Have a lovely evening. Sorry. And we'll see you sorry, next time. Just hold on. Next time, Russ, who's a fan of Norwich? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Norwich rather lover next time, Russ. I'm London lover, Chris. Charlotte's um, well, a crown of lover, Charlotte. And that is Russ. See you later. <laughs> Have a lovely day and we'll speak to you soon on the Guidance Project. Bye. Bye. Bye.